He is worthy of all glory. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. If you would open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. The book of Matthew, chapter 22. If you don't have an outline, please raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. It's important that you have one. These are for our Connect life groups that meet throughout the week. And even if you're not in a Connect life group, it's good to take notes. Amen? The book of Acts chapter 22, and we'll begin reading in verse 34. When you got it, say so. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. Matthew 22. <laughs> want to go back to Acts? Everyone else wanted to leave. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's like, I want the Holy Ghost like Acts, but we don't got to keep going back to that book. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. The book of Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. When you got it, say so. And it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great command, and that's what we dealt with last week. And the second is like it, which is what we'll deal with today. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Say that with me. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you today for your grace for your love and your kindness, God. And we just humble ourselves before you. And we ask you, Spirit of God, to give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church. That we would not be hearers of your word alone, but that we would be doers of it. God, I pray against any idle listening, my God. But I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be attentive to what you are speaking to us. God, that we would humble our hearts before your word. And that we would live to glorify and honor you, God, through obedience to your word unto us. Pray these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So recapping a little bit from last week, if you look down at your notes, you can follow along with me for the first um, three paragraphs here. This is what I'm going to be sharing. But as, as we established last week, our two weakest areas, and for those of you that were here, you remember that we put up on the screen, I didn't ask Lewis to do that this week, but on the screen we put up this barrel, and this barrel signified um, us as a church, each one of the planks that made up the barrel, and inside the barrel was some liquid um, something, and that liquid um, was symbolic of the people that God will bring. And what we realize is that in order for us to be a church that is the best that we can be, we have to make sure that we are growing in all of these different areas. And so the two areas in which we found ourselves to be the weakest in and doing a survey that really mattered to you so much is number one, loving relationships. And number two is needs oriented evangelism. And our goal is to be the best church we can be. As I said last week, we're not trying to be better than any other church. We just want to be the best church that we can be. That is our goal because the church is not in competition with itself somebody say amen. amen too many times we think of churches like we look at Walgreens and you know CVS hello and we think that, well, you know, there's one on each corner, so they're in competition. I mean, I, I, play with, I play racquetball with guys, and they're like, yeah, you know, you got a lot of competition. I'm like, I have no competition. 
Not the competition you're thinking about. I'm, I'm not in competition with any other church. I'm in competition with the devil, hello, who is drawing people and bringing them to hell and taking them out there and showing them the wrong way of life. Well, that's what I'm in competition with, not with any other church. And so our heart should be that, is that we can be the best because God has chosen us and appointed us to do something in this day and this time. And he's given us the gifts and the abilities. But a lot of times what we want to do is we want to just pray about everything. And that's a good answer. Amen. But sometimes we over-spiritualize. Amen? Sometimes we're like, I'll pray about it, but we don't do anything else about it. Hello? Like, look at your Bible and say, okay, I've prayed about it. I've asked God about that. Does the Bible speak about it? Hello? Like, we should look at those type of things and not just think, okay, well, I've prayed and that's it. No. But what we should do is recognize we're gifted and realize that there are certain times or certain areas in our life that need to be dealt with. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 15, Jesus speaking, he says very clearly, he says, I am the vine. He's the true vine, right? My father is the vine dressers and you are the branches. And then what he tells them is, he says that my father prunes you. And this is what happens. Jesus gives us life and the father prunes us. And so how he does that many times, I was talking to someone someone and I said you know what I'm not the pruner but I'm the tool of the pruner hello somebody and so what happens is you and, and look, look at your neighbor and say neighbor. neighbor no 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 say neighbor. neighbor shake them up a little bit all right tell them you are, you are a, vessel a vessel of pruning as well, pruning as well. and so am I hello it's important that you realize that. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that iron sharpens iron, like iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another man's countenance. That's talking about the way he looks. And it's not just saying about your appearance, but it's talking about the way that you and I bear fruit. That's what is supposed to happen. And that's what the book of John chapter 15 is dealing with. And so what's supposed to happen is we are supposed to be purged and purified. But a lot of times we just want to ignore the fact that there are some things that need to be dealt with in our lives. We want to ignore those things and just and, and, and not act like we need to deal with them. And so what we want to do in order to be the best we can be is we want to grow in the areas that we find that we are the weakest. And when we say the weakest, it doesn't mean that it's not existing because how many of y'all have some good loving relationships in this church? Raise your hand. Right? And so we were shocked. Raise, raise those hands up higher real quick. I want you to just look around, right? So this, now, now, now look, look around. Hold them hands high. Be proud. I'm in some loving relationships, glory to God. Right? Okay. So here's the point. The point is you see all those hands, right? So you would think it's weird that we like scored low in loving relationships, amen? Because all of these hands. But the point is, it's not that we are that we are horrible in this. It just means that we need to grow in this area. We need to make sure that there is not one hand that is sitting down, amen? Amen. Glory to God. And so we want to make sure that we are part of that process. And so the key to the church being its best is to be constantly reminded of and truly overwhelmed by the reality of the gospel, which reveals to us the love of God, which causes us to grow in our love for God and inevitably our love for others. If we are going to be the best that we can be for the glory of Jesus, then we have to be constantly reminded of the gospel. We have to be constantly reminded about what Jesus did. We have to be constantly reminded that we cannot do what Jesus did for ourselves. Hello. We have to be constantly reminded of this good and glorious and wonderful God. And that is the reason why every week I try to do my best to present the gospel to you for two reasons. Number one, so you will be without excuse when it is time for you to share the gospel with someone because all you will need to do is repeat what your pastor, your bishop has been saying to you. That's all you got to do. Just go at it verbatim and you'll be able to share the gospel clearly. But the second thing is because no one in this place, whether you are a Christian or not, a believer or not, born again or not, 
not. None of us do not need the gospel, but we all need to be reminded of the gospel. I say this once in a while, and I'll say it again. This is the thing. We don't start in the gospel and go somewhere else. We start in the gospel, we stay in the gospel, and we grow in the gospel. That's what's supposed to happen for us as children of God. And so what, and what happens is we need to be reminded constantly, constantly. I, I read a book that really rocked my world in the area of preaching, and it is this, and, and the title is this, it is Whatever Happened to the Gospel? Whatever happened to the gospel? Because you hear people get up and they'll preach to you and they'll give you 10 points and 10 ways to do this better or 9 ways to do this or 7 ways to attain this or 8 And they got all these ways to do stuff and they left the one way out that matters. There is only one way and that is Jesus. He is the way to a better marriage. He is the way to better finances. He is the way to everything that you want. He is the way. But I can give you all the principles of Scripture and never give you the one who is the prince of Scripture. I can never give you the one who can give you the power to apply the principles, the one who can deliver you, the one who can set you free. And that is why we must be reminded by the gospel because while we are looking for 10 ways to do this better, if we will bow to him, the way, everything else will flow you know why because he is the true vine the father is the pruner he is the one that prunes us he's the one that cleanses us and if we're devoted to him you know we get to see we get to see his fruit in all areas of our life so i give you one way to everything it's jesus that is what the gospel is church and we need to be reminded of the glory and the wonder of the one god who in the beginning of all time see time began with him because he is timeless amen See, we, we, we have problems grasping him because he is eternal, meaning that he has no beginning and no end. So, you know, from grade school, the biggest question is, well, where did God come from? I don't have the answer. What I can tell you is that he has always been. And the beauty of it is, is that he decides to let us in on the first day of creation. And he says, in the beginning, God created. Glory to his name. And this God that demonstrates being all-powerful, almighty, he creates, and everything he creates is good. Say it was all good. Because he is a good God. Everything has to be good. You know why? Because no matter what anybody tells you, and listen, don't let anyone tell you different. God is always good. And so everything he creates is good. And then as he creates all this stuff good, the Bible teaches us something that man decided to think that they could get something better. Are you hearing me? Because that's what it, that's what it all, all boiled down to. Eve thought, well, you know what? That tree, that, that, that fruit looks good, and I can be like him. Well, you know what? There's got to be something better. There was nothing better than what they had. And they decided that they were going to disobey God. And, you know, it's amazing when you think about it. They didn't do something, in our opinion, something heinous. It's like, you know, you got your hand caught in the cookie jar. That's what basically what happened. It's not a big deal. It was a huge deal. All they did was ate something they weren't supposed to eat. And because they ate that, what happens? To, what happens? All of humanity, because of their sin, now we're sinful. And not only are we sinful, but we are separated from the one true God because of our sin. But the beauty of this is that before the foundation, say before the foundation. You see, that means way before, you know, in the beginning, God, way before the beginning. Hello. Way before that, before any of that, it wasn't like God responded to them eating the fruit. That didn't, it isn't like that. Before the foundation of the world, the plan was the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Son of God, was going to be slain for our sins. Because what happened was our sins separate us from God. And not only do they separate us from God, but they promise us death, and that is eternal death, eternal damnation, separation from him. But before the foundation, before they decided that they were going to rebel against God, God wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. The same way that he is not shocked or surprised by anything that you do. Hello. 
And so God provides a sacrifice in his son for us. And Jesus comes and dies the most brutal death in our place. That's the gospel, church. He dies in our place. You know why? Because God doesn't want us to be separated from him. It is not because God needs companionship. It is not because God needs worship. You need to get this real understanding. It is because God is good and he wants you and I to experience the riches of his goodness. And so Jesus dies to liberate us from this bondage and separation. And not only does he die in our place, but he declares unto us, if you put faith in me, if you turn from your sin, I will no longer know you by your past. I will know you by a new name. I will no longer look at you by the way that you were, but I will look at you based on who I am and what I have done for you. That is called imputed righteousness. And God gives us this righteousness, gives us a new name, gives us a new identity, so we no longer have to live this way. And you know what we get to do? We get to enjoy him in fellowship now and look forward to eternity with him unveiled. Amen? Amen. But the church must be reminded that that is what our lives are all about. It's not about all these other things that we run after and we pursue. It is about the glory of the gospel transforming us. And if we're going to be the best that God wants us to be, then we have to be overwhelmed by that gospel. Amen? While everything, we talked about this last week, while everything flows out of the love of God being poured out into our hearts and overflowing into our love for him. So what happens is God's love propels us into loving him and relationship with him. And then it is demonstrated because you can't say you love God if you don't obey God. Hello. Listen, you could say you love me all day long, but if you keep doing stuff I hate, I will question you. And I'm a human being. God is the Almighty One. You know what Jesus says? If you love me, guess what? You will obey my commands. And so what happens is we become overwhelmed by the love of God. That produces a love for God. And out of that love, obedience flows. So we begin to obey God. Say in all of Scripture. Not some of Scripture. See, here's the issue with us. It's like, I love God on these things, on these things, but on these things, I... I love God in this area. I really think he's good there, but I don't know. He must have missed it there. Something's wrong with him. Hello. It's like there was a typo in the scriptures or something. Like, I don't know. Someone didn't edit right. No, let me. We need to be edited. Hello. Right? We need to have a mind change. And so what happens to us, and then with, with, with this, today we're talking about growing together in love. Say growing together in love. That's what we want to deal with because last week we talked about the foundation of everything, which is loving God. It is loving him and us being able to experience his love. But this is the thing. Far too many Christians, and this is in your outline there, far too many confessing Christians become satisfied with just them and the Trinity. Not realizing, understanding, or accepting the fact that we were redeemed to each other simultaneously as we were redeemed from our sin to our Savior. See, what happens to us, and the reason why some people don't get it is because they think, you know what, I've been redeemed. And here's one of the things. I was reading a book, and it was called Restoring the Jewishness to the Gospel. And they were talking about one thing that happened that, 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 that is an issue when you're preaching the gospel to people who are really Jewish to the core. The Jewish people are not looking for a personal Savior. They are looking for a national Savior. Did you hear what I'm saying? You're not getting it, though. See, here's... When they're looking for a national savior, they are looking for someone to come and deliver the nation, to deliver their families, to deliver. They're not looking for someone to come and save them alone. They're looking for someone to deliver everyone that they know. See, for us, especially in the United States of America, we just want to hear about the Jesus for me. 
That's what we want to hear about. We want to hear about the Jesus that's going to bless my life. We want to hear about the Jesus that's going to prosper me. We don't want to hear about the Jesus that wants to do much more than just save you and your cute self. Hello. We don't want to hear about that. We want, we, we, but we need to come to that place where we recognize that God wants to do more than just, he delivered you more than just to set you free. When you read the book of Acts, we just came through there. You see these people, right? The jailer, who got saved? Just him? No, him and his household. Cornelius, he's over there praying. He's, he knew Peter was coming. Homeboy went and got the whole neighborhood and was like, y'all come over here. We're about to hear deliverance. But we're over here happy. I just want to hear about Jesus for me. It's good. Hear about Jesus for you. But understand it's bigger than you. Because what happens to us is that we're cool. Well, you know, I'm hanging out with Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I got all that. But God says there's more. It's relationship that is supposed to, occur, to, uh, supposed to occur. So the next two weeks, I want you to think about this. The gospel connects us with Jesus, his church, and his mission. The gospel connects us to Jesus, his church, and his mission. When we get saved and when Jesus really becomes Lord of our lives, he does not just connect them to himself in peace and joy. That happens. But there is something else that occurs, and it is that we become connected with the body. We become connected with his church. Why? Because he is the head of his church. He is the head of his body. And not only... Because remember, the two areas where I said were the weakest in, number one was loving relationships. The second one is need-oriented evangelism. And so not only does God connect us to his body, because that's another place, and I'll talk about that next week where we get stuck, but he also connects us to his mission. Repeat this after me. Say, to walk with Jesus is to value what he values. To walk with Jesus is to value what he values. Look at verse 37 in your Bibles. And it says, and Jesus said to him after being asked this question, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Notice what he, what he says here. He says here that all of the law, say all the law. He said all the law. And the prophets. What he is communicating is he's saying all of the word of God hang on these two commandments, which indicates to us the value God places on us loving him and us loving others. It says all of the law that is written is for is, is for this thing. It is to it, it is summed up in these two commands. Command number one: love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The command number two: love your neighbor as yourself. The law hangs on these things. When you look at that word hang, what it literally means, it, you, you can look at it as you hanging up a picture. And you know, when you, one time I, we, we had a, my, my wife, she purchased this huge mirror um, for our living room. And it was, you know, really, really, probably about as big as one of those things on the wall right there. About that big, so to turn it sideways. And um, a friend of mine and I, we were hanging it up. And so when we hung it up, you know, we went and we bought this real thick, you know, cable because we're like, this is a heavy mirror, so we need to make sure we got the thick cable so that way it'll hold the weight. And so, you know, we hung it up, and it probably hung up there for like, I don't know, a few months or whatever. And then all of a sudden, we're in the living room one day, and I hear, boom! I was like, what on earth? I go look at the picture, and I'm like, man, the picture fell off the wall. I'm like, what is going on with this thing? So, you know, I get smart. I'm like, okay, I need to get a thicker, a thicker you know, thing to tie it up with, right? So I go get a thicker one. I tie it up real good. I'm like, this thing is not moving now. 
Like two weeks after that, boom, it falls again. I decided to do something, to read the instruction. You know what the instruction said? The instruction said, put two screws, one in each corner. Do not use a, 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 a line to hold it up. <laughs> the whole thing was, I couldn't hold all of that weight on that, on that one support because it would pull the picture in, and those, those braces broke. And so what, when, I'm, when you're looking at the law here, you picture like that. It is something that is weighty and something that is heavy. It is the law of God, and the prophets are... All of the prophets who prophesy, it is weight, and it hangs on these two commands, and one of them is to love God. The other one is to love others as yourself. When you look at that word, it also means to have one who hangs on the cross, and when I looked that up, you know that stirred my heart because I was like, man, all of the law and all of the prophets is what put Jesus on that cross to demonstrate what it means to love God and to show what it means to love your fellow man. This is what Jesus went through, and so all of the law and all the prophets hang on this. And what Jesus does, I didn't share this last week, but when I was talking, I told you that when they came here and they asked him this question about these laws, these 613 laws they had, what Jesus did was they, they, they used to break down laws because there's so many laws. I mean, you think 613 laws, that's a lot of laws. Hello. Some of you have a problem remembering one law, glory to God. Right? They were supposed to memorize 613. And so they had like, you know, 200 something negative ones, you know, 300 something positive ones. And so they used to debate all the time and they would be like, well, which ones are heavy and which ones are light? So which ones are really important? In other words, what are really important? And what they did was they put over here in this category, like loving God and all these other things that they thought were really weighty. And then they had these other things in these other group. And you know what was in the other group? That command right here to love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't as important as this over here. And so what Jesus does, because remember, they didn't ask him what was the second commandment. You know they didn't ask him that, right? They, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus is like, this is the greatest commandment. And the second one, let me hook you up, right? He's trying to help him out. He's like, because I know what you guys are arguing all the time. And what I want you to realize is that there is no part of my law that is not important. There is no part of my law that's not important. You need to obey me in the things you think are heavy and the things that you think are light. See, some of us, we think, well, you know what? I got to love God. I got to pay my tithes. I got to do all of these things. And you have all of these things that are really heavy in your life. But, you know, I really don't need to do And you can fill in the blank. And you think that those are light. You know they're in the Bible. You know they're truth. But to you, they're light. And God says, no, they're not light to me. Hello? Second thing, repeat after me. Say, our value for others is demonstrated in the type of love we show them. Our value for others is demonstrated in the type of love that we show them. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Leviticus chapter 19 really quick because that is where Jesus is quoting from. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. When you get there, we'll, we'll, we'll start reading in verse 1, but <clears throat> when I hear the pages stop, Leviticus chapter 19, uh, when you got to say so, all right, Leviticus chapter 19, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 18, because this is going to help us understand this. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So we understand this. The book of Leviticus was not just written for the Levites. Are you with me here? A lot of people think this is a book that's just written for the Levites. This is not true. He says to speak to 
all of the congregation of the children of Israel. In other words, God didn't just want his ministers to be holy. He wanted everyone to be holy. And he says in verse 3, he says, Every one of you shall shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. If you offer a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination it shall not be accepted therefore everyone who eats it shall be shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the holy off the, the hallowed offering of the lord and that person shall be cut off from his people and so we see here he starts talking about laws of worship and things like that and he deals with this but look at verse 9 it says it because this is when it talks about our understanding of this and this is this is really important and before i go there it's very important that we understand in context what it means to love your neighbor as yourself because there is like this misconception in our days that we have to be like in love with ourselves we live in a day where you want to build everyone's self-esteem want everyone make everyone feel good about themselves and all of this kind of stuff please read your bible that is not what god does god wants you to be have your faith built up on not yourself and your greatness hello but on him and his greatness amen so what, what happens is, when we talk about loving ourselves, there's the flip side of it. The flip side is, am I not supposed to love myself at all? No, there's a balance to all of this, because if God says to love your neighbor as you love yourself, that means you can't hate yourself. Hello. Are you with me here? And so it's important that we, that we get this, that there's a balance to all of these things. The reason why this is so important, there, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a myth, and, I, and I'm not like a Greek scholar or nothing like that, but there's a myth of this guy. I read this to y'all and, and when we were going through gospel transformation, but this guy, he was either a god or a son of a god, and his name was Narcissus, right? And he was beautiful. And what he did was, the, the, the myth is like this, that he walked by this lake, you know, this pond, and he saw his reflection. And because he was so beautiful, he, he got stuck there, and he died staring at himself. That's where we get narcissistic from. They're all about themselves. And so that's why you have to be careful when you start trying to build yourself up and build up your self-esteem. Because are you looking at yourself and, and, and aggrandizing yourself, or are you understanding that God is the one who should be glorified, not you? Right? There's a story that I know very well. I don't know that one all that well, but there's another one that I know real well. There's a guy by the name of Lucifer. He was an amazing angel. Hello. This guy had timbrels and all kind of sound. He moved and it was worship. I mean, it was awesome. And this guy began to think so highly of himself. You know what ended up happening to him? He's like, I will ascend unto the hill. I'm going to be greater than God and all of this stuff. You know what happened? He got kicked out of heaven. We can't just be overwhelmed by ourselves. We should be overwhelmed by the gospel and who God is. And so we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we look at verse 9 and it says this. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor, nor, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So when he's, talking, and when he's talking about loving your neighbor as yourself, he's communicating, listen, you, wanna, you, you will the best for them. You, you, when, when he's talking to Israel here, he's saying when you guys go and you harvest your fields, don't grab everything up. Leave something there for those who don't have a field. 
Care about them, not just yourself. And so he goes on, verse 11. It says, you shall not steal, right? Because that would hurt somebody. Nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. So he's, what, what is he talking about? He's saying, listen, you need to be fair to people. You need to be honest to people, right? He says, you shall not curse the deaf in verse 14. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor, nor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer or a gossip among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin and, and not bear sin because of him. And verse 18 is where Jesus was quoting, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your God, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, what he's saying is, if you were poor, you would want someone to leave something there for you. He's saying if you, if you wouldn't want someone to steal from you, you wouldn't want someone to lie to you, you wouldn't want someone to judge you falsely, you wouldn't want someone to mistreat you, right? These are the things that he's saying. And see, naturally in us, here's the thing, naturally in us, we, have, we, we are going to protect ourselves, right? We're not just going to let stuff happen to us. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about this other craziness about building all these things. What he's talking about is the way that you would want to be treated. This is where Jesus talks about the golden rule. The way that you would want to be treated, that's how you should treat others. The way that you would like to be treated, that is the way that you and I should treat others. Now, here's the thing. The love that the Bible refers to that should be resident in governing believers is the highest, most sincere, most pure, and sacrificial love revealed in us. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at another scripture. I like when the scriptures speak. We're going to look at this, and I want you to test your love based on this description of love. I want you to look and say, am I like this? Am I like this? Am I like this? And we'll see. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Y'all should know it by memory. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But for those of us that don't know it by memory, we're going to look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is where Jesus or, or the Apostle Paul is speaking and he's communicating to the church. In chapter 12, he talks about all these gifts that the church has. And when you look at the church of Corinth, it's an amazing church because it is such a picture of the church today. This church was gifted. This church was powerful. It had all this stuff that was going on in it. But you know what? It was lacking the foundational thing, which was love. They were, they were, they, they, they were, they, they were powerful church. All the gifts, every gift of the Spirit is marked here in the, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's no other place except Romans that has a similar listing of all the gifts. I mean, these people were serious. Gifts of the Spirit were flowing, and Paul is rebuking them. Chapter 12, he goes over all the gifts, and we're just going to start in verse 1, just, just, just for argument's sake, so you can see what Paul says. After he tells them about all these gifts and all these things, in verse 1 he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So I'm just making noise. So you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you have not love, you're just making noise. He's talking about prayer language here. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying, look, man, if you don't have love, you're just making noise. Making noise to who? Everyone, including God. You hear me? This is what he's saying. Because we measure our spirituality by the gifts in us, but we don't look at our spirituality based on the character of our life. 
which is bound up in this love. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but, but, but have not love, I am nothing. Say, look, man, you could have the prophetic gift. You could read people's mail left to right. Tell them about, you know, all the, you know, the, the socks in their top drawer. I mean, you, 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 you could be just a prophet of God, right? You could go ahead and, I mean, just speak healing into someone's life. And God says this through his, through his apostle. He says, look, you can do all those things. And if you don't have love, you're nothing. That's rough. It's the truth, though. And though I bestowed, I love this one because this is amazing. Because you would think that this is a real indication of love. He says, and though I bestow all my good to feed the poor. Did you hear that? He said, I can give all my stuff to charity. That's what he said. I could be that do-gooder. Hello. Making sure, you know, whatever. I could be that person. And he says, I can do those things. And he says, and though I give my body to be burned. He's talking about sacrifice. Sacrificing for the kingdom. This is what he's communicating. And and nobody's going to give their body to be burned. That's what he's talking about. Being sacrificed for the kingdom. He says, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Because it's lacking something. But then he goes on and he communicates this. And I really want you to think about this stuff. Don't just just read through this idly with me. I want you to really think. Because this is the love that God calls us to have as Christians. This is the type of love that should govern our hearts as children of God. This is the type of love that our spouses should experience. This is the type of love that our children should experience. This is the type of love that our parents should experience. This is the type of love that our co-workers should see through us. This is the type of love that our brothers and sisters in Christ should see and experience through us in relationship. Notice I said in relationship. You cannot demonstrate love outside of relationship. You can say you love me from afar, but there's got to be some level of communication. Hello. Verse 4, he says this. Does love suffers long or love is patient? Is your love patient? Is it? Are you quick to tell someone off? You quick to go off? Your bishop, you pray for him for patience. Amen. I'm letting you know right now, I'm going to lie to you. I'm I'm self-examining just like you. Glory to God in heaven. Amen. I'm letting you know. Pray for me because this is it. I'm like, God, help me because I am not patient, Lord. My love is not patient always. Now, 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 obviously, this is is relative, you know. I'm more patient with my daughter than I am with an adult. Amen. I'm definitely more patient with my son than I am with my daughter. I mean, he don't know nothing. (laughs) Boy, what's wrong with you? Walk already. I mean, I'm just saying. (laughs) Not talking about that. The point is, love is patient. So the question is, is your love patient? It suffers long. Listen, I like the way my translation says it because in some translations it says patience, but it really gives you the love suffers long. Hello. (laughs) That's what it does. And and we're going to look at some more scriptures so you're going to be excited because you understand why you need long suffering. Amen? It's long. But anyway, love is kind. It's benevolent. It's sensitive. It's giving to other people. I read a quote in the, in, in the premarital counseling thing, and, and it says, to love is to will the good of others. To love is to will the good of others. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Are you, are, are you envious? Like, you can't rejoice in other people's blessing? Hello? Like, are you envy? I mean, is, is there something going on inside of you that you're, you, 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 that's, that's a lack of love when you don't have that? 
It says, love does not parade itself. Does not parade itself. In other words, in, one trans- in someone's translation, it says, love does not boast. Right? And the next one, and the next one is, in mine, it says, it's not puffed up, and someone else is not prideful, right? What's the difference? Boasting is the external thing. Prideful is a heart thing. You can be prideful and never say anything about it. Hello? It's a a heart condition. And so the question is, is your love boasting? Are you always throwing in people's face what you do for them? Are you always bragging about what you do? I'm not talking about encouraging people to do right. That's not bragging, church. If you do it too much, it may be bragging. But here's the thing. When you're encouraging someone and you're sharing, like when I talk to you guys about when I first got married, I still hate doing dishes. Hello. I hate putting dishes away. I still do. But probably about seven years into our marriage, I realized that my wife needed me to do some dishes. Hello. I'm just saying. She needed some assistance in the kitchen. And and she didn't need me to pay an assistant. She needed me to assist her. Hello. And so the point is that I learned these things. And so, but, and, and, and so I'm, I'm encouraging you. You know, I share with, you know, I share with people, you know, I, I've always done this from the beginning of our marriage because I just like the way that I do clothes. I don't necessarily like the way that she does clothes. She does a great job, just not to my standard. So rather than try to bring her to my standard, I just do it. Amen? <laughs> Babe, am I right? Am I lying? Am I lying? I'm crazy, okay? I'm just saying. Like when, when, when shirts come out the dryer, I got to lay them flat. I'm just saying because I, I don't want to iron. Why do I have to iron a shirt that's already hot? I can lay it flat. It's ironed. Amen, somebody? I'm just saying. I don't want to just throw it all in a thing, right? And my, and my wife thinks I was in the military. I wasn't. You know, she, I'm just joking. She knows I wasn't. But because my drawers, everything is like straight. But that's my mom messed me up, man. Right? When I was a kid, my mom would be on me and be like, boy, you need to fix these drawers. And then I was like, man, I don't want to have time for that. And when I got older, I realized, man, my mom is pretty smart. You can fit more stuff in a drawer when stuff is folded, amen? I'm just saying, right? And so the point is, when I talk about these things, right, I'm not trying to boast about them. I'm an amazing man because I do laundry. I do laundry because I'm prideful. I'm just saying. (laughs) I don't do it because I love. I just do it because I'm a pain. But anyway, (laughs) here's the thing. The question is, do you, are you a braggart? Do you boast all the time of your loving acts or your amazing acts? Because if you do, and the Bible says that that's not acting the way that love is supposed to be acting. And are you prideful? Is your love puffed up? Verse 5 says, and I'm just going to say love. It, you know, it doesn't say love there, but it says love does not behave rudely. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Are you rude? Are you harsh? Are you insensitive? Then anybody who's saying yes now, when we open the altar, you're going to be here crying out to Jesus. Right next to me, by the way. I'm going to have Milton play the piano because I need deliverance. (laughs) But I'm saying, right? The point is, are you rude? And listen, I'm going to pray for your bishop too, amen? I'll, I'll confess my sin to you because I'm not Jesus. He's the only one that's perfect. Your bishop is still a work in progress. But I can be rude. I can be harsh. I, you know, what, what, what happens is when you're not patient, you become harsh. Hello? Right? And so the point of the matter is, is that I'm not standing up here like, oh, I've arrived. I've not arrived, church. I'm on the same trip with you. Hello? And I'm trying to grow in this grace. But are you rude? Does not, love does not seek its own. Hold on a second. Time out. 
When I do all those good deeds for my spouse, am I doing them because I want something? Or am I doing them because I love Jesus and I love him or her? It doesn't seek its own. It's not doing all this good stuff because I'm trying to get a response out of you. No. Whether you respond or not, I'm loving. Right? I'm just saying. It's not me. I'm not even saying. This is what the Bible says. It says love is not provoked. Glory to God. You already know you need to pray for me. But anyway, what about you? Are you provoked? Like, I mean, you just like flip off the handle. I mean, just something like just stirs it. And, you, and, and that, that patience is not there, right? Love is not provoked. It's not. It's just the love of God doesn't do that. Love thinks no evil. What about you? You think evil of people, right? Always think, you know, you can't be loving because they're going to take advantage of you. You're always thinking like the wrong way about stuff. Verse 6, it says, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. What about you? You rejoice in iniquity? You rejoice in unrighteousness? When we're looking at iniquity here, we're not talking about sin in general. What about when someone experiences consequences of sin? Do you rejoice in that? They reap what they sow. I'm saying, right? That's how we are. Like, you know, Lord, vengeance is yours. Go ahead and get it. I'm saying, that's how we are. Like, God, like, we're, we're, we're like the book of Revelation, the people under, you know, the, the throne of Jesus. Like, Lord, how long till you avenge us? He's like, there's some more your brethren got to die. Shut up. Read it. He doesn't say shut up, but he does. He says the other part. Well, really, that's what he's saying. He's like, be quiet. Just keep worshiping. You're all right. Right? But here's the thing. We have, we, we, we have this mindset. So do you rejoice in iniquity or do you rejoice in righteousness? Do you rejoice in that thing? Verse 7 says this, love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Is that your love? Is it an enduring love? Is it a love that has hope in Jesus? Is it a love that doesn't necessarily, listen, sometimes you can't have hope in people because they are wicked. And they fail you. And they, but do you have this love? See, because it's not just about them. It's about your hope and your Savior. It's about you enduring everything because of what he's done. See, here's the thing that, we, that you and I have to understand. Love is not an act that we do when we feel it. And by the way, the last verse there says, love never fails. Love never fails. It never quits. It never gives up. It continues. It doesn't mean certain things don't change, but love continues to burn in your heart, and that's the way you have relationships with other people. But love is not an act that you do when you feel it, but it is who we become when we are being transformed and we, come, and we become more and more the image bearers of our God who declares himself to be love. See, what happens is, is as I spend time with Jesus, as I spend time in his presence, as I spend time meditating on the gospel, as I spend time letting the Holy Spirit deal with me, as I do that, the love in my heart begins to change and transform. And so here's my encouragement. I ask you to join me on this love journey. And what I'm going to be doing for at least the next, to the end of the year, is every day I'm going to be meditating on this scripture here, asking the Spirit of God to transform my heart and to give me a deeper love like his. His love because a lot of times like I said we'll pray God give me a more loving heart but what do you do in action other than ask him do you allow him to really work on you by you confronting your sin or your shortcoming or do you just say well God you got to do this work because you're the one that does it listen this is a partnership the Bible says we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling we're supposed to work together with our God 
we don't have love, church, then we're lacking the, the, the greatest reflection of who our God is. Amen. Say this last one with me. Growing together, Growing together. In, love in love requires intentional, requires sacrificial, sacrificial obedience. obedience. Growing together in love requires intentional, sacrificial obedience. And so we're going to look at some more scriptures here. But here's the thing that we have to be clear on. There is no question at all that God wants us to be in real relationship one with the other. No question. But I want you to see it all throughout unfolding in the New Testament. So turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to go to about five scriptures here. And then we're going to make our way home. And we're going to pray for one another is what we're going to do. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15 Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. Let's let's just look at verse 14. We'll start there. It says, For he himself is our peace, who 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 has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And so Paul is dealing with the difference between circumcised and uncircumcised people, those who are Jewish by their by birth, and those who are Gentiles by birth, meaning that the people who are part of the commonwealth of Israel, the people who are part of the promises, the people there, and then the other group is the people that are us, which are the Gentiles. We're not Jewish by nature unless you unless you happen to be Jewish, but most of us are not. And so he's saying that, that, that what God has done is that he has made us both one in this thing. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances and in ordinances so as to create in himself one say one one new man from the two thus making peace in other words now we can have relationship one with the other because of what because of what jesus did jesus here is clearly being portrayed as the one who redeems us to himself but he also redeems us one to the other and he says in that he might reconcile them both to god in one body say one body through the cross say through the cross how is it that you and i become one body through the cross It is when Jesus dies on the cross, he didn't just die for individuals, he died for a body. And so we are supposed to be one body with him, thereby putting to death the enmity. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to those, to to, to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we, 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 we both have access to one spirit, to one father. He says, now therefore, in verse 19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. We're fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Say, members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, say whole building, the whole building, everything is being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together, say built together, for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now listen, I could leave you with just that scripture. And that scripture alone makes it very clear that God wills for us. He is not just saying, hey, I want you to be together. He literally says that I am building you together. I am fitting you together. I used to frame homes, and, and, and one of the things that you'll see is that in the front of the houses that are being framed, you might have seen this in new construction, they deliver piles of wood that are there, and they have, you know, 24 inches, 12 inches, 10 inches. They have all these different pieces of wood. And when you go inside the house, the house is different, you know, the, 
different heights in the ceiling, different heights in different areas of, of, of the home. And what you have to do is you have to go and you have to measure. You look at the blueprint, and based on the blueprint, you may take a board that is 12 feet, and you may cut it down to 10 feet, 6 inches. And you may have to cut a bunch of boards like that because that board may be utilized in order to fit that particular spot. But if you take it at 12 feet, it's not going to work. Hello? And it's the same thing that God does with us when he's saying that he's building us. What he wants to do is he wants to remove some stuff. And the first thing that he removes is the stench of sin in our lives by the power of the cross. And so what he does is he cuts away those things and he removes those desires that are ungodly. And he begins to build for himself, not for us, not for our glory, for his glory and his honor. And according to the scriptures, for his dwelling. See, here's the thing. If I ask the question, how many of you really enjoy and want more of the presence of God in your life? Raise your hand high if that's you. Every room, in the, every hand in this room it said that, right? Well, here's the thing that I want you to understand, right? Well, most hands, not all hands, but the hands that were raised in this room, if you want more of the presence of God, that would mean that you don't just want visitations from God, right? Meaning that you don't just want God to come and hang out with you on Sunday morning, but you want to experience him more in your life. So what does that mean? That means that I need to be the dwelling place. Say dwelling place. And the only way that I can be a dwelling place is not I by myself, but it is we together. That's what he says. It's not what I say. It's what he says. And so you really want more of God's presence? Then that means you're going to have to work on some things and get in relationship that is committed relationship with other believers in the body of Christ. Amen? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 to 10. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to wait. But here's what it says. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He didn't say individuals. He's talking to us in the language of Israel. He's talking to us to the language of covenant people. He's talking to us in a language that he is building a people. It is a people of God, not individuals. And salvation is individual. And we work it out individually, but we don't just do it alone in the fullness of it. We will never grow the way we're supposed to grow if we are not in relationship with other people because that is God's design, not my design. Turn your Bible to the book of John, chapter 17, and we'll look at Jesus' high priestly prayer here for us before he dies. And he's praying, he's asking God certain things for us. And in verse 20 through verse 26, he says this. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. And so Jesus prayed for himself, he prayed for his apostles, and then now he's praying for you and I. So I think it's really important that we pay attention to what Jesus prayed for us because I think he's pretty serious if he's taking the time to talk to his father about us 2,000 years ago. What do you think? I think he has some things that are, that, that, that are important. He says, the first, look, look, look at this. This is amazing to me. The first thing he asked for, that they may all be one. Oh, my goodness. Glory to God. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth when he prays for you and I is that you and I would be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now pause for a moment because he makes it, he takes it deeper. He says, I don't just want them to be one. In other words, I don't want them to just come and hang out together. I don't want them to just come and sit together. I don't want them to just come and have meals together. He says, I want them to be one like you and I are one. 
When, when you read your Bible, you need to pause for a moment at stuff like that and be like, wait a second, what does he mean by that? Okay, let, let's ask this question. How were Jesus and the Father one? Most of us, including myself, cannot fully grasp the totality of Jesus being the God-man. Hello. Right? Because God is infinite beyond all wisdom and all understanding. It's very clear that Jesus is God the Son. That is clear. Amen? No question about that. But what he was saying is, you and I are one. We are one unit. We are one mind. We are one accord. We are one. We are one. We are one. And that is what I'm praying for them. That they would have a oneness like that. That they would have a relationship like that. That they would be together like that. That their relationship would not be casual, but that their relationship would be committed. That their relationship would bear the same image and the same fruit that we have. You see, the biggest thing that we miss is that we don't understand that part of bearing the image of God. How many of you know that you are image bearers? Say yes if you know that. You are image bearers of God. You are supposed to bear the image of your God. You and I cannot bear the image of God alone. That is the reason why in all of creation there was one thing that was not good and that was that man should be alone. Why? Because Adam by himself could not fully bear the image of God. Why? Because our God dwells in community. It's called the Trinity to some of you, where it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are one. And when he says we will make man in our image, in our likeness, God dwells in community continuously, church. And if we are not doing that, guess what we're not doing? We're not bearing his image. We're going to go to the next scripture. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. You keep reading that one, and you'll see other places in there where Jesus says clearly that he wants us to be one. For the sake of time, that's the first one. That one's important. But look at Acts, chapter 2. Look at what happens to the church after they have the encounter with the Holy Ghost. Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 to verse 47. These are all familiar scriptures, I hope. And it says this. And it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, say together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, say one accord. They were one accord in the temple. In other words, they were coming to church together. Hear this. Look at what the scriptures say. They were in one accord in the temple, in the house of God, and then breaking bread from house to house. So notice the way they did this. They came together. They worshiped God. They heard the preaching. They gave of, the, of, of whatever they were going to give, and they shared that fellowship. And then from there, they went from house to house, breaking bread together. Does your life look like that? Does that occur? I'm not saying on Sundays because maybe Sundays you have things that are going on. But do you engage in relationship outside of Sunday service with your brothers and sisters in Christ? If we're going to grow in loving relationship, then we're going to have to do that. He goes on to say, breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with, with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so when we're living the way that we're supposed to in a loving relationship with God and growing together in love with our brothers and sisters, then God begins to add to his church. Turn back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And the reason why I'm giving you all of these scriptures is because I want you to know this is not something that, that you know, your bishop wants or, or, or your pastors want. This is not something that we just think is a cool thing. This is something that God commands us. This is something that God expects of us. This is something that God calls us to. This is not, and I'm going to say this again when I'm done with reading the next two scriptures. This is not optional. Ephesians chapter 4. 
verse 11 through 6, it says this, And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So our goal is what? To grow up into him, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, with, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, say in love, may grow up in all things, say in all things. And it says, into him who is the head, Christ. And so we're supposed to be growing up together into Christ. In verse 16, I love this verse. For whom the whole body joined and knit together. We are supposed to be joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, by whatever gifts, whatever calling, whatever things God has gifted us with. We're supposed to be knit together because of those things according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so when we are all united in the spirit the way that God wants us to be, then we are able to see the fullness of him. And I'm going to give you one more scripture. We won't even turn there. It's the book of Colossians chapter 3. You can write it down and look at it later on. Verses 12 through 17. It continues to confirm this. And so listen, I said this just a moment ago. Growing together in love is not optional. It's not optional. It's the same way that God says that husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Guess what? That's not optional. Some of us men choose not to do it, but it's not optional. Hello? <laughs> Wives, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. That's not optional. Some women, you choose not to do it. Doesn't make it optional. When God says you shouldn't murder, shouldn't steal, shouldn't lie, shouldn't covet, those things are not optional. Those are commands of God. We have a choice in the matter. And we can choose to disobey. And what, and, and what disobedience does is it hinders our relationship with God. And based on the gospel, if we're really going to experience the gospel in the fullness, then what we have to do is embrace the, the full counsel of God, not just some of his counsel. And let me say this too, because one thing that we got to get delivered from is we have to get delivered from the event mindset and really commit to doing life together. And see, I want, I want to encourage all of those people who I'm going to call you connectors today. Hello. You're the ones that you're on Sunday Connect, you're in, you know, Tuesday Connect, you're in Saturday Connect. You are connectors. You're like, yo, Bishop, you preach to them. That's what you're saying right now. But here's what I want you to get delivered from right quick. Get delivered from the event mindset. Like you came to church on Sunday and then you connected in your connect group and that's all the connecting you need to do. What you did was you went to two events with other Christians. Are you here? That's what we did. We did two events with other Christians. That's not doing life together. That's not, that, 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 that's not bearing one another's burdens. That's not praying one another for one another. That's not being together in life. That's not you thinking about your brother or sister when you're at the grocery store. That's not you thinking about, hey, man, I'm going to go to this park with my kids. Maybe I should call some. That's, that's doing life together, y'all. We're going fishing, so let me see if I can call someone up. Those things are doing life together, not just this event mindset that we have. Well, you know, I came to, you know, Tuesday Connect. I came to Wednesday night mentoring program. I came to Thursday night men's ministry. I come to Friday night. I come to all of these events, and you know what? You can come to all those events and still not do life with your brothers and sisters because all you do is do church stuff in the building with brothers and sisters and what we're supposed to do is come to that place and really care one for another the last scripture that we'll turn to is the book of matthew chapter 24 the book of matthew chapter 24 
The book of Matthew chapter 24, and we'll look at verse 12 together. And I am getting ready to close right now. It says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now this love that we just described here is the same love that is talked about here. It's love. It's this agape love. It's this unconditional love that is patient, that is kind. It does not envy, that does not boast. It's this, it's this love that is not, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a different kind of love. And what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 24, to put this in context for you, is he is talking about the latter days and everybody, you know, and no, no one in their right mind will say anything different, but we are living in those last days. And what he says here is he says, because lawlessness, say lawlessness. Lawlessness means a person, it means breaking of the law. It means a person, that is what sin is. Sin is lawlessness, according to, I think, it's 1 John. And so here's what we understand. He says, because lawlessness will abound, because people's lives will not be governed by the laws of God. When your life, when my life is not governed by the laws of God, you know what happens? I begin to act contrary to it, and I begin to hurt other people. Why? Because all of the law and all of the prophets hang on what? These two commands, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And when I am not obeying the laws and I'm not heeding the prophets that are in the scriptures, then what I begin to do is I begin to not love God the way that he calls me to love him. And I also begin not to love my neighbor, my friends, my family, my other Christian brothers and sisters the way that I should. And I end up hurting them. And the result of that is what the Bible says in the King James Version. It says the love of many will wax cold. And the original, what it means, it is literally a blowing upon the heat of a fire. And what it's saying is this, is that someone is going, that, that when people sin against you, it is like someone blowing on the fire of your love. And so every time that I get offended, you know what happens? Whether I, whether I respond to it or not, there is something trying to blow out the fire of my love. And the more, because lawlessness will abound, because people will continue to offend me, because people will continue to hurt me, because people will continue to dishonor me, because people will continue to do those things that do not bring glory to God and hurt me, guess what I begin to do? I begin to back up. See, now, and now, now we're not talking about someone out there. I'm talking to everyone in this building because we all have this tendency to do it. I was talking to Minister Juan, and I can only use him because I love him because he's an open book. And he's like, yo, man, you know, sometimes he's like, you know, when I get hurt or something like that, he said, you know, I, 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 I put up like these walls. And he's like, really, for me, it's like, you know, now I just see you, so now I know what's up. Right? That's what he said. He's like, you know, now when, when I get hurt, I'm like, oh, I see all that, you know, God bless you, I love you. And he's like, but I see you. He's not boasting in that. He's saying, man, I need to be delivered of that. He's saying that's wrong because that's our justification. Because what we do is we allow that love that should be boiling inside of us, that love that should be brooding inside, that love that should be overflowing to our brothers and sisters. That is what this agape love is supposed to do. It's supposed to overflow that way. We should will the good of others. We start to care less about others. 
And so the question for us this morning is this. Obviously, we looked at this list, and if we were really honest about it, most of the reason, not all of the reason, but most of the reason why we couldn't say yes to all of those things saying my love is like that or my love is not like that is because we've been hurt some way, some, some shape or form, and so our love has begun to grow cold. And the key to that is what? Forgiveness. The key to that is forgiving whoever it was that hurt you. Whoever it was, it could have been your prior pastor, it could be, you know, a a family member, it could be your dad, your mom, it could be your children, it could be your brother, your cousin, it could be whoever. But what happens to us is that we've got to come, we've got to say, okay, Lord, look, my love is growing cold, whatever the reason is. It could be the person sitting next to you, hello. It could be me standing right in front of you that I unintentionally offended you. And, And listen, I don't intentionally offend anyone. But here is the thing. The question is, We don't have any excuse because we're children of God who are supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. So that love shouldn't be growing cold in us, but it should be going hotter. That love should be growing more consistent. And so the question is, are we growing together in love based on the love of God for us? Stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. Hallelujah.